0: the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You are about to listen to an episode of the Audio Signals podcast with Marco Ciappelli. In this new season, Audio Signals is repositioning its antennas, focusing not just on the stories, but on the storytellers. In our modern hybrid analog digital society, the art of storytelling has never been more vital or displayed such a diverse array of forms. Recognizing this, our conversations will spotlight the narrators, providing a unique exploration into the minds behind the narratives. From authors to podcasters, visual artists to songwriters, and everything in between, we will engage with all who contribute to this extraordinary tapestry of human experience. We are all made of stories, after all.
1: Hello everybody, this is Marco Ciappelli on Audio Signals Podcast. As you know, I recently repositioned the antennas to capture some different stories. And um, it's not that they're different. I think they are a little bit more in depth because I like now to talk about the stories and about the storytelling uh, uh, art in general and uh, and the storytellers themselves because there is a reason why they write certain things instead of others. There are different kind of authors and also it's not just about books, it's about writing songs, any kind of art. I mean we're made of stories. I always like to say that from an anthropological and sociological perspective and, and today it couldn't be any more fitting to have uh, this guest that I'm going to introduce shortly, uh, because he not only writes, he, he wrote a lot of book, um, almost a movie, but he will tell us about that. And uh, and he, he teaches how to write. So, I mean, I, I can not be happier about the conversation that we're about to have. So for those watching the video, you can see uh, Gary Braver. is here with me. And for those listening, just one second and you're going to hear his voice. So, Gary, welcome to the show
2: thank you marco nice being with you
1: it's a pleasure to have you so let's start from the beginning let's start with you and then we'll go into into the stories so who who is gary for the people that haven't read your book which i know there there are many uh so hopefully somebody in the audience will be familiar with who you are but for those that aren't who is gary
2: Well, uh, Gary is a professor, uh, actually a former professor at Northeastern University. Uh, I retired last year to write full time. Uh, I have written 10 novels. This is the 10th novel, uh, Rumor of Evil. And um, most of the earlier books were standalone medical thrillers. Even though I don't have a background in medicine, I have a background in physics. uh, And I know how to, I knew and know how to ask questions to get me from point A to point B and make me sound like I know what I'm talking about. So um, I have for 40 years been teaching Frankenstein uh, in a science fiction course, which is one of the first uh, taught in a college level. And um, it is essentially the theme of so much science fiction, watch out what you wish for. So I had written a novel um, uh, called Rough Beast, which um, was really focused on a town nearby where I lived that had um, carcinogens in the water and it affected people. It, it ticked up the cancer rate in the area. So it gave me the idea to write a book. Uh, my wife and I had, had children and didn't want to have anything poisoning our, our kids' bodies. Uh, so I wrote a book called Rough Beast uh, about something bad getting in the water and a cover up that goes right to the White House and that did quite well. So the publisher said, give us more of the same. And I said, more of the same what? They said, (laughs) high concept, scientific breakthrough novels that focus on the family, have strong female characters. And that, a sidebar to that, Marco, is that about 70 to 80% of all the books, fictional novels, fictional books in America are purchased by women. So women like to read about strong women. So that gave birth to a lot of other books, and, um, and this one is the first of a detective series. Rumor of Evil is the first of a detective series that I just started. The second one is done, and the first one just came out last week, Rumor of Evil. So now I'm writing detective series. <laughs>
1: yeah. Wow, that's, that's amazing. And I already have a, few, a couple of questions, and I'm going to start with this, going back to how you started. Sure. And and I was reading your, your bio and, yes, the teaching part, but you also went to some uh, scuba diving and, and research yeah. in the ocean. And, and that's kind of like how it got you started. And so you, you wrote archaeological novel and then medical-inspired right. uh, novel and then thriller. You teach horror. So where I'm going with this is when somebody is a writer, people – I think, you know, you can write anything. I'm just going to go there and say, write more of this. Or this is the new fashion, the trend in the book uh, nowadays. So why don't you just go ahead and write that? But you got to write what you're comfortable with and what you're inspired by. So let's start with that. Like, how did you feel inspired to start with that? Was it connected, of course, with your uh, life, I guess, what you were doing?
2: Right, right. Uh, I had known from college that I wanted to write fiction. And um, the only way to write fiction was to teach college. So I got advanced degrees in English. And uh, I started teaching at Northeastern and, and I was you know, enamored of many books, many short stories. And I was chomping at the bit to write my own, but I did not have a story. So um, in the uh, late 70s, I, went, I signed up for a scuba diving expedition, a scientific expedition to Mallorca, Spain. And we were there for three days because of reports of 2nd century BC Roman wrecks and maybe Phoenician wrecks. And we were about a mile offshore and a, an ancient shipwreck, there's no wood left, of course, but there are ballast stones which rolled around the belly of the ship to keep it stable. And we were fanning away amphoras, large pottery that held seeds, and beans, and and olive oil, and wine, Uh, and we were clearing away the sand, and pulling up these artifacts, and our boat was 30 feet above us, with a red and white diver flag, and a speedboat cut across our our bubbles, once, it's an accident, twice, you're not paying attention, three, four, five, ten times, we're in danger, and the boat came at us, he was dragging anchor hooks like this at 20 miles an hour, trying to hook us and hook, pull us out the seat of drone. Uh, I said, if I get out of this alive, I'm going to write a book about him. And what we found out was that a local godfather on Mallorca was diving on ancient wrecks and selling the booty to, mu- to collectors and museums all over the world. And that gave me the idea. I just moved the whole story to Santorini, uh, and, and the um, Aegean island, uh, where I spent some summers, and that became the first novel called Atlantis Legend. It connected to Plato's Atlantis Legend. Um, and that did well, and the other books followed after that. But then they became kind of medical thrillers, as I mentioned earlier. Right,
1: uh, right. Yeah. but but there's always a, a, an inspiration for that, right? I mean, you you said that the story about the monster was connected to something that happened there, so you, you see that. And how do you transmit this? To, to your student. You teach us about how to write horror, or how to write mystery, but if you don't have it, uh, do you it, just it, wake I, up one day and say, all right, I'm gonna write in horror. I, I, I don't think I could.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on your experience too. I mean, it's right. Um, uh, how I translate that to my students. I mean, I taught fiction writer for a long time. I can, I can take a mediocre writer and make them a good writer by, you know, schooling them and having them practice and giving them feedback. I cannot take a good writer and make them a great writer. Uh, And I always tell my students: you come up with your own ideas, whatever the genre—mystery, thriller, horror, um, mainstream. I can help you as you write it, as a child i well as an adolescent i saw lots of science fiction horror and um cop movies so that was kind of ingrained in me and um i taught courses in detective fiction also so i was enamored of the genre but the medical thriller part really came out of teaching science fiction watch out what you wish for a message the last novel I wrote, I co wrote with Tess Gerritsen, a best selling author, and it did very, very well. And so it was suggested to me write my own detective series. And so that's where Rumor of Evil came from. Um, and it was just, you know, the, the next one is done. And you keep the same characters. So it makes it a little bit easier because the main characters you continue with. Um, but it's just that's what I like to read. That's what I like to watch when I was younger. And that's what I like to write, either thriller or mystery. No, yeah,
1: that's really cool. Yeah. Now I, I do have a question. Now you you have an experience I mentioned at the beginning where you you were kind of given the option for a movie. So that's oh, yeah. kind of like every writer dreams yeah, nowadays. Yeah. Right? Course, I mean, if you if you make that, you you get an entire different uh, an entire different industry that may even be more M- money speaking more yeah. valuable than than writing although writing is a wonderful career uh, how does that work and how does the change your uh the way you write meaning some people may envision already a movie out of it and also they they use certain visual that may be adopted but do, mm-hmm. do you feel like you kind of change the nature of your writing if you have that in mind versus this is a book It's a story written, if it works for a movie, good. we'll change it a little bit.
2: Just as you said, Mark, I mean, I, I, from having watched so many movies, I have a cinematic imagination. I Mm -hmm. see it playing on the inside of my skull, and I usually take dictation and I write the scenes. I don't think about, well, I I, I fantasize about having a movie. And when Ridley Scott optioned Elixir 20 years ago and then re-optioned it, I thought we were in writer heaven. This is gonna become a movie and all the wonderful things that could happen since then. He passed on it after two two options to make Hannibal the follow-up to um, Silence of the Lambs, which did not do very well. And Jodie Foster bowed out of that uh, in the role she had 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 in the first movie. So I don't think about that anymore. I mean, we came close. I can almost smell the popcorn at theaters, but we didn't get a movie out of it. we got enough money to send my two kids to the first years of college. So that, that worked that's out
1: good. Yeah.
2: But um, the, in in terms of cinematic, it is mostly in my writing. It's very descriptive, very cinematic. And on a deep structure, it has the kind of architecture and narrative thrust of many good thriller and mystery movies. So in, in a sense, that's my connection. I don't have great hope. that. My books are made into movies. It'd be wonderful. But there is so much out there, so many projects that go before the producers that, you know, it's it's hard to compete. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. All right. Let's not think about that now. Let's let's talk about the book that you just uh, – it just came out, I understand, uh, a few days ago, right, uh, Rumor right. of Evil. So let's talk about that origin. What's the origin story of Rumor okay. of Evil how that come out?
2: Sure. Um, as do many – writers who write crime novels. I have a file of real life crimes that are disturbing or unusual or just plain bizarre. And one of them that stuck in my mind uh, came out of 2014, um, out of Waukesha, Wisconsin. You might have heard of it. Two 12-year-old girls lured a 12-year-old girlfriend into the woods, where they stabbed her 19 times. Luckily, she survived, but the two assailants are still in psychiatric institutions. I became fascinated, how could children do this to another child, such brutality? And that got me doing some research and it connected me with studies of bullies, bullies and the bullied. And I was looking for a backstory to this novel and um, because the, 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 the opening scene, you have a woman hanging in her backyard and the cops think this looks staged to me. So we have a potential murder investigation going on, but I wanted to connect it to a cold case from nearly 20 years ago. So the story of Slenderman gave me a profile of bullies who are kind of those alpha kids who want to appear smart, strong, and powerful to their friends. Uh, and they pick on someone who is kind of an outsider. Someone who is looks appears soft or looks different, she's you know, um, too heavy, too thin, walks with a limp, um, and maybe from a different socioeconomic stratum, or they speak with an accent or from a a different ethnic or religious background. That is the outsider. And so I designed, for me, an outsider. A 16 year old exchange student from Eastern Europe. She is of Romani, a Roma extraction, you know, from the dark skinned northern Indian migration that came down four or five centuries ago and spread out through Europe. Um, And she comes to affluent Lexington, Massachusetts, which is right next door to where I live here in Arlington, Massachusetts. And she's going to stay there for four months. Uh, and uh, she, she doesn't have cool clothes. She, does not, she has strange kind of braids in the side of her head, but the kids have fun Americanizing her, re- introducing her to hot dogs and backyard barbecues and Mexican food. They take her to a rock, co- rock concert, and because she is of Roma extraction, they think like gypsies. And one At a pizza party, she begins to read palms, mm-hmm. And then things turned very weird, and a few days later, friends and family of friends experienced bad things, and the rumor, as in rumor of, uh, of evil in the title, began to spread. Isn't she a gypsy? And didn't the gypsies carry bubonic plague a long time ago? Mm. And don't they pray to Satan and drink the blood of Christian babies? <coughs> and aren't they witches in disguise? So what I had done was tapped into all the derogatory myths about Romani, Romani people, and she became the uh, the victim in this in this novel. And she is mysteriously she mysteriously dies in a fire in a treehouse in the backyard of that Lexington home, and that connects to the current story that you know, the woman was her suicide was staged um, as as a cover up to that. Uh, a strange event twenty years ago. Yeah, but it was came from the Slenderman case in 2014 yeah, out of Wisconsin. Yeah. So that's where it came from. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's that's interesting. You never know really where a, an idea can come from. You know, like one is watching something. One is leaving something. Like in the case of your first book, yes. you went through something there. You were doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get something that historically happened. Uh, what's your tendency to, to stick to reality as much as you can or twist it as much as you can in the, in the fantasy world of creating your own world? Like yeah. that the balance, right? But you can go into create the Tolkien, you know, Middle Earth, or you can just stick with the urbanistic uh, the reality or right, urban right. reality or what you write. But what's your balance there?
2: Um, Don't let truth get in the way of good fiction.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love love that, I love that. Uh,
2: Exactly what you said, Marco. I let let it go through my squeeze box in my head and my imagination and I took it from there because 12 year old kids, there's no motive that is clear. It's irrational what they did. And um, the adolescents in this novel as in conspiracy theories, send out rumors to put down this outsider kid. So I just imagine what it'd be like. And I have two sons and they passed through the adolescence and I got to know their friends and how they talked. And having taught college for 45 years, I had freshmen who were just two years older than the, the, the victim in my novel and the the other adolescents in the novel. So I got to know how they talk and how they think. And I just, you know, use my imagination to create the scenarios of that story, of that uh, that poor young uh, woman who is uh, consumed by flames in a treehouse. Yeah,
1: yeah. Because that sometimes is the is the risk when when you're not telling a story that is where you are or or a projection of you as a male a professor writer who you are, and, and you yeah. you get into the mind and you create another character there is, you know, a different gender or a different age is right. that's, I feel like it's a really challenging part, especially nowadays when people are maybe not so forgiving about certain things. I mean, how do you know, how do I think it's a yeah. challenge?
2: It, it is a challenge. I, I often draw from people I know, particularly my wife uh, for the major female character in the novel. Um, and, uh, you're right. I mean, things have changed in the last novel. And in this novel, uh, we had the publisher hired, um, sensitivity editors going through the book and making sure there are no insults to women, to minorities, to, we had, I had one scene where I described a, a a student in the class as being chubby and they said, take out chubby, use a different word because the chubby people out there might be insulted. <laughs> it, you have to, and this is, this is only the last 20 years, you have to know your audience quite well. You have to know your readership and what might be acceptable, what might not be acceptable. So, so there's one has to tweak one's own wording sometimes in a book. Yeah, um, yeah I think that yeah, no, changes I've seen, yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a humble process, too. I feel like you, you get to yeah. put your, as I say, walk in some other shoes instead of depicting a character the way that is in your head. And I, yeah. I talk a lot about artificial intelli- generative artificial intelligence and the biases that come with you know the, the training of the algorithm. And I, I always like to say it's human. That's why it's, uh, it has faults. Right, it's, right, it's, right. it, it carries all the biases that we carry from our right. culture, our history. And many times we we don't know we have those. Yes, and the, there is no evil just to connect with the title. You know, you don't wake up in the morning and you say, yeah, that's what I want to That's what I want to do. It's the culture and we are revising many things, even when you look at Disney cartoons. Now yes. they need to add certain things. And I, I think it's completely fair and it's a way to look inside ourselves and who we are and, and, and be better as much as, uh, as we can. Um, during your, uh, you're retired now from teaching, but is teaching shaped somehow the way that you write?
2: Yes. I learned how to read when I became a college professor of English. Um that means I learned how to look at another writer's work the way a carpenter looks at a house. When you're teaching a book, you really have to have it wired because you're the one up in front of the room and you're sending stuff out to these students and hoping they connect to the book. So I learned how to read by looking, by not reading other people's books, but studying how they get in and out of scenes, how in a strip of six inches of, of, of dialogue, they're able to distinguish characters by the vocabulary, by the way they look, by how they pronounce their words or, or express themselves. Uh, I learned how you can, in an, in an action novel, you alternate how writers alternated an action scene with reflection scene, an action scene, you know, fast and slow, as in movies that there's a very robust kind of dramatic scene is next time, next scene they have is a cops or somebody talking about what happened. So the, you, you have this kind of up and down um, architecture in books, um, how they how authors end the scene with a cliffhanger. Um, and this is what I tried to. This is what I learned in teaching other people's books. And that's what I uh, tried to pass on to my students. Look at it, the house the way a carpenter looks at it. See the angles, the agreement, the themes, the um, and the economy. Um, and so that's what I learned while teaching uh, teaching college English how other writers did it and in many ways uh, I tried to emulate those strategies in my own works
1: um, So I, uh, now I'm gonna think if it was uh, Picasso Dali or one of those guys probably Picasso that said in order to break the rules you need to uh, know the rules yes, so you yes. you become yourself and you and that applies to playing music, uh, to do a lot of different kind of art. So connecting with what you said, um, how does somebody develop, and you developed your own, your own style, but mm-hmm. still trying to do it the right way? I was following right. the rule of writing that you know they worked. I mean, they worked for <laughs> many, many writers before, yeah. so you, you want to do that but you want to keep your own spin. How, how do you do that?
2: Well, I, I know my own voice. I know what I think works as a sentence or what works as a paragraph or what works as a scene. Um, the other stuff that I pick up from other people's writing is now instinctive. I mean, I know mm. if, a, if a scene or a chapter is working. I know if there is uh, too much exposition or too many technical details that might turn, uh, a, a, turn the readers blind. Or turn their, their blood into ink if you get too much, you know, technical stuff. Um, and I know um, and, and research is very seductive. I mean, you learn a lot of cool things from the experts, and you want to put it in the book, but that's gonna gum up the narrative thrust, the flow, and it's gonna turn off readers and bore them. So you you work up these instincts after I missed the tenth novel, and two more are done. So I, I know after a while that uh, how I do it with my own voice and that it complies with the best of the genre that I've learned from other folks.
1: Yeah. Right. So there is that uh, uh, peers, comparison, inspiration and making your own stories. But then there is the, the reader, the audience. So I, I'm assuming that after 10 books, I mean, when you write the first book, you may say, well, I don't really know who my reader is going to be. Or maybe you do have somebody in mind, like coming from advertising, you always think like, who's the target, right? right. So, but a true artist, most of the time, as we were talking about before, try to express itself. But do you, as you see the movie in your head, I feel like you also see the person reading the book. So I don't know, maybe it's my imagination. But yeah. So now after 10 book, did you develop an, an audience that of readers and fans that maybe it wasn't even, did you had idea that it was going to be that one? And do you know who reads your book now? And how it does it affect your writing?
2: I, I think I, I do write for myself in many ways, too. Uh, I have high standards. And I, I think I'm appealing to an intelligent reader who has high standards for the genres that I'm writing in, um, and doesn't want just a plot-driven novel, but they want a a plot-driven novel that has, you know, well-fleshed out characters. Um, Because I know friends of mine, including my wife and and people who are in book clubs, they like like character. Um, And in fact, um, I think more people who read mysteries are more interested in the character of the detective than the actual detection itself. You're not mm-hmm. going to have a dope as a detective because you're not going to have a very interesting book, but you want to have a character of the detective, your protagonist of a novel that you have sympathy with, empathy with, and someone you'd like to spend, have a beer with or a coffee or spend a few hours with. And so the, uh, the, 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 the challenge is to come up with interesting protagonists in one's novel. And that's what I did. And part of that, Marco, is... To give the main character, your protagonist in a novel, and the detectives in in this novel here, personal baggage. That is, a detective has two quests. The outer public quest is trying to find the person who left that body in the opening scene. The personal quest, the inner quest, is I have got problems. Give Mm. them baggage, such as they're addicted to, to drugs, or they're alcoholic, or they mm-hmm. feel guilty that they're estranged from their lover, their children, their best friend, or they feel guilty that their partner in the last murder scene was killed and you got away. So you, you give them some personal baggage that creates an empathy with the reader. They kind of feel for the guy. And hopefully that the by the end of the book, he or she is at a higher place than at the end and got the bad guy too. So and that creates an intimacy with the reader if they feel empathy for them, as well as an interest. And so, the the character is the most important thing in my novels, even though I try to keep up the momentum of a of a page turn. Yeah.
1: Wow, it's interesting. I think I think people that are listening right now they may get a, a lot of good. Uh, good tips from from this mm-hmm. um as we get towards the end i'm curious about one more thing because you wrote the book before and you mentioned it with with another uh, writer yes yes and um, yeah, yeah. so that experience um i know i was reading that it was been done like through emails and and going and developing one took one side one another side how that that works because it's hard to find a book that it's written by multiple hands and brain and (laughs) make a cohesive story right
2: right right i have known tess gerritson who is an international best-selling author i think she has 29 books out uh for about 25 or 30 years and i taught a course in modern bestsellers and she was a guest several times and she plugged one or two of my books so because she is a physician who has written medical thrillers and because I wrote mm-hmm. medical thrillers, we kind of were in the same genre and we each respect each other's writing. We were at a Christmas party four or five years ago and she said, you want to write a book together? I said, give me a nanosecond to think about this. I mean, <laughs> I mean she's, she's brand name. So um, I proposed a, uh, a storyline, which she liked. It was at the height of the Me Too movement, and, and famous American people were being um, disgraced—Harvey uh, Weinstein and um, Matt Lauer from the Today Show, etc. And we both agreed that there are two sides to every illicit affair. So I suggested a college professor has an affair with one of his students. It's a—it's—it's it's an old story, but we can put new wine in the old bottle, and and over the course of 18 months, we wrote this book via emails and a few telephone calls, uh, and we, we have similar styles, and we have similar uh, strategies, and we, we meshed very well, but it's very interesting. <laughs> two-thirds throughout the two-thirds of the book was done, and we had no idea who the villain was. <laughs> we had, <laughs> imagine that, we had five suspects, and we had to pick out one who would be the least suspicious to the readers. And then we finally decide, and you go right back to chapter one, and you adjust everything. You know, like dropping a pebble in a pond, all the ripples go out, adjusting everything so that the actual villain made sense to the readers when we fa- finally rewrote the book to the end. But it was interesting, and I learned how women think and she learned how men thought, because I did the male point-of-view chapters, she did the female point-of-view chapters, and it did well, it did very well, and it got great reviews, and what we loved is the reviewers in a Wall Street Journal said this was seamless. We could not tell who Gary Braver's chapters were or Tess Garrett's chapters. So that that worked out well. Yeah, That's something to do, uh, we got used to each other's style. Yeah.
1: You you just answer uh, an add-on question that I was going to have. Did it come out like the... The great uh, dish, uh, <laughs> because of the good ingredients, or can you still taste the the, the separate ingredient? And you just said it came yeah. out very good. And I I love how you kind of let the story develop itself, and then mm. and then you went back and decide, okay, we don't even know who yeah. Yeah. who the the yeah. the, right, right. the character part, is. Part, part,
2: part of the part of the reason. Marco, is that neither of us outlines anymore. When I first started, I had a you know, I had almost a hundred pages of outline. And now I just we just sit down, it was a dark and stormy night and, and go from there and see where we developed. Yeah.
1: I love <laughs> it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Well, this was a lovely conversation. I have many more questions, but I wouldn't want to take any more of your time and maybe you'll come back when you have your next book or you want to just talk about storytelling in general. This is what we talk about here on Audio Signals. Good, good. Um, as far as the new book, uh, why don't you finish with a couple of minutes or a minute of pitch for the book? I know it's okay. Rumor of Evil. It yeah. already come out on October 10th. It's on Amazon and all of that, but... Right, gotcha. uh, I'll let you close. How about okay. that? I,
2: uh, and, and it's, I'm very proud of the book. Uh, it just got selected as the Amazon editor's top picks of the month of October. Um, it's gotten rave reviews so far and book lists and publishers weekly and the others. So it's, it's getting great response. Um, it's a fun book. It is uh, uh, character and plot driven. Um, and uh, if readers pick it up, I think they might enjoy it. So, um, uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed. And I look forward to coming back with you again, Marco. This was fun.
1: I I would love that. And I am actually looking forward to get into the book myself. I'm more of a, a listener lately because I can I can listen more while I do other things. So maybe the Audible. And um, yeah, this was great. I'm going to... And, and
2: in case people are interested, you can find me on GaryBraver.com.
1: Yep, I was going to finish with that. There will be notes on the podcast as usual. The audience know that. Links to your social media if you want to share it and your website and, of course, to the book itself. And uh, as far as the people that listen to me, I'm not writing right now, but uh, you can subscribe. Stay tuned for other episodes on Audio Signal Podcast. And if you are on YouTube... Yeah, we're not much to look at, but I think it was a good conversation. So <laughs> <Thank you>. <laughs> <laughs> at least we didn't make a movie out of it. But <laughs> you'll be surprised how many people I, I hear said, you know, I like to watch podcasts. And I'm like, I don't know. I like to listen. It I'm an old school radio guy. But right, um, right, right. whatever fits you, subscribe. Gary, thank you so much. I had a really Thanks. good time. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye, Marco. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Thank you.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Audio Signals with Marco Ciappelli. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and share the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations and our audience, visit itspmagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our shows. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.